I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football family as ever. I'm your host, Harry Simiu, and on this edition of the show, we're going to be discussing all the latest Arsenal-related transfer stories, links, reports, conversations, all the rest of it will be uh, covering off the big topics, the big discussions with regards to the mighty Arsenal and any prospective business they might do going into, of course, the summer window. Um, I was having a little scroll through uh, Twitter around about half an hour ago or so, and I saw uh, Tom Canton uh, is holding a phone-in show uh, with regards to Edu um, a little bit later on today. And, um, you know, make sure you go over to the channel, subscribe, check it out, Tom's Canton. Tom's Canton, Tom's content uh, is top notch. It really, really is. And, and I'm going to be tuning into his show at five o'clock because what he's going to be doing is, is talking to some callers who feel as though Edu is a big problem for Arsenal, who have been calling for Edu to be um, moved on, who, who have been calling for Edu to be criticised because at this stage, on the 5th of June, nor Moises Caicedo, nor Declan Rice are Arsenal players. They say that he's too slow. And and I'm glad Tom's doing this show because I've seen those types of comments floating about online over the last couple of days. And I think it's just absolute madness. I think it is bonkers. And I would love to sit and watch somebody sort of make that argument in any kind of serious nature. The argument that says that A, Edu hasn't helped take the club forward, take the team forward, and B, that because we haven't signed any of those players on June 5th, you know, we should we should be critical of him. The window's not even open, for God's sake. You know, for all you know, Arsenal could have agreements with both of these players. That's the point that a lot of people miss. I know we have access to a lot more information now than we did in the past. And I know that the football landscape and the way we consume the sport and everything that goes on around it is very, very different. We still don't always know everything. And um, yeah, it's um, it's crazy. It, it drives me mad to see people coming up with that kind of stuff. So if anyone's going to jump on there and, and try and make that case, I want to hear it. I really, really do. I am someone who is open to different arguments, to different points of view, to different perspectives. But that narrative is just wild. I mean, if we were talking about the end of August and we were struggling and, you know, we hadn't done anywhere near the business that we wanted to do and we felt like actually the team having allowed a couple of players to go, maybe Granit Xhaka, perhaps Kieran Tierney, was looking weaker. I'd understand that conversation being a thing. I'd understand people wanting to make that point and feeling like they need to make that point. But at this stage, it just feels wild to me. It really, really does. Uh, let me say a few hellos. Uh, good to see uh, lots of you with me in the live chat. Big hello to, uh, let's start off with um, BC Biker Bros. We've got Nav, we've got Chris Summers, we've got... Uh, Steve, we've got Halo, uh, we've got Henry, Wondering Mitchell, Nav, MM, we've got Errol, um, we've got Stan, the man joining us from sunny Vancouver. Really nice here in London at the moment as well. How long it's going to last, I don't know. Uh, a big hello to Jid as well. Good to see you as well, mate. Um, let's dive in then straight away with a question um, from Chris Summers, who, who referenced Tom's show, which is going on a little bit later on. He says, just to play devil's advocate, if Arsenal's summer plans 
are to get both Caicedo and Rice and personal terms have already been agreed with Caicedo. What do you think the holdup is with this early business? Well, first of all, I, I don't know that Arsenal have agreed personal terms with Moises Caicedo. We've seen that uh, go around. You know, we've seen that story be reported. We've seen that information be put across to us. I think a lot of that is based on the fact that, you know, the only problem that we seemingly had when it came to Moises Caicedo, when we tried to sign him in January, was with Brighton and Hove Albion rather than the player himself. And I think it would have been easy at that point to agree personal terms with him and get that deal done. But it doesn't mean that they were agreed or finalised. What it means is that, you know, people have, or, or what it suggests is that people have looked at the fact that actually it was Brighton that was the problem and just assumed the other side was easy, pretty cut and dry, clean, easy to do. And because... Brighton dug their heels in, that was the sole reason that the deal broke down. Now, I'm not saying that Arsenal can't afford to meet Moises Caicedo's personal terms. I'm not saying that would be a problem. In fact, I don't think it would be a problem. But I don't think it's that. I don't think that we formally agreed personal terms with Moises Caicedo. There might have been a little bit of a handshake. You know, there might have been a conversation going on behind the scenes, but things change over the course of a few months. And Moises Caicedo's stock continued to rise between January and the end of the season. So I wonder if, um, you know, his demands may have changed. But in answer to Chris's question, what do you think holds up or what do you think is the hold up with this early summer business? Well, first of all, Chris, as I mentioned in my intro, the window is not even open yet. So you cannot officially complete a transfer at this stage, at this moment in time. It's impossible. The laws of the game do not allow it. The window system that we now adhere to does not allow it. So... Yeah, that's the one thing. Um, the other thing is that a lot of the time clubs want to bring in a replacement or want to have a replacement lined up or want time to identify at the very least their replacements. Add to that that negotiations take a long time. I mean, I always use this as an example, but I remember buying my property. I remember being in, you know, being what well, I made the offer in May and I don't think I got the keys until the middle of September. And that was pretty good, I was told. So, you know, and that was for a negotiation of a few hundred thousand pounds, but not in the level of this, where we're talking millions and millions of pounds. These big money negotiations, they don't happen just like that. Sometimes they can take time. And if you're Brighton and Hove Albion, and you know that there are other clubs interested in your player, i.e. Chelsea, whose interest we're going to discuss a little bit later on in the show, Liverpool, if you know that these clubs are interested, what are you going to do? You're going to play them off against each other and see from whom you can get the most amount of money. You're going to try and play them off against each other. You're going to try and spark a bidding war, create a scenario from which you're likely to take the biggest amount of money away possible. And what is the need to sell in June? Literally, what is the need, um, you know, to sell in June? Like, if you're a selling club, there isn't one. You will happily wait and bide your time and get the best offer and the best deal. And, um, you know, that's just the way it goes. So um, I know Chris personally isn't like sitting here saying that Edu should be sacked or, or hung, drawn and quartered or anything like that. But I know that this is a thing going around on social media right now. People get agitated and irritated about transfers in a really strange way, I find. Like, yeah, there's players that you will want your club to go out and sign. There's players that I want my club to go out and sign. Later on, we're going to be dropping an episode, my summer wish list 
where I identify four, maybe five players that I would like to see Arsenal go out there and bring in. Also, making sure that they're realistic options as well. So it's not to say I want Kylian Mbappe, uh, Vinicius Junior, um, you know, and all of that. Like they are realistic options that I would like Arsenal to move for over the course of the summer. But you know, we've got to be patient with these things. I always say to you guys, even when we get to the latter stages of a window, often you see the majority of the movement at that point. So if you haven't done all the business that you wanted up until then, don't panic, don't stress. You know, yeah, you can start to get a bit tetchy and a little bit nervous because time is running out. But, you know, often that's the way things go. I've also said quite a bit recently that one of the good things we did last summer was do the vice, the vast majority of our business nice and early the significant business, nice and early, which meant that we had those players going into pre-season. And I think that really contributed to us being in a really settled position. When we started the campaign, we won five out of five at the beginning and we got off to a flyer and that really set the tone for the season. So I think it's important if you can do that. But I'm also not naive enough to think that every deal is very easy to do. And I'm not naive enough to think um, that every deal is um, is that clear cut. Um, Errol says, why are you freezing, Harry? The video is probably freezing a little bit. I'm assuming the audio is okay. I'm getting a little notification in the top left-hand side of my screen saying that the internet connection is just a little bit weak at the moment. Um, unfortunately, I can't, once I start the live stream, reset the router to sort that out. Um, so if there is a little bit of freezing in the video element, I am sorry. Um, and, I, and I wish I could do something about it, but it, it doesn't look like I'll be able to midstream. Uh, but please bear with me on that. The audio should be fine. Though. Just confirm for me that the audio is coming through uh, loud and clear at the very, very least. Thank you, guys. Um, if I could just ask you before we plow through the rest of the show uh, to leave a like on the video and subscribe to the channel. It really, really does help. Um, and I, I greatly appreciate it. Um, it really does, uh, you know, help, as I keep saying. And, you know, we're not a million miles away from the 27,000 mark in terms of subscribers here on YouTube. And once we get there, we'll start looking towards the magical 30K. Um, if you're listening on audio, come over and subscribe to the YouTube channel as well, because you'll get uh, different bits of content as well that you wouldn't normally get um, on audio only and vice versa. So uh, make sure that you're subscribed across uh, both of the platforms. Um, yeah. Anyway. Okay. Uh, let's talk then. Moises Caicedo. We've spoken a little bit about him already, but in terms of what the update is with Moises Caicedo, why are people panicking about Moises Caicedo today, perhaps more than yesterday? Why is there a lot of talk with regards to his name? Why is this feeling like it could be a more difficult deal to do than maybe it felt two, three months ago or, or two, three weeks ago even? Um, here's uh, here's what, what I think. So we know that Chelsea are in the market for a midfielder. We know that because we know that they've opened negotiations with regards to Manuel Ugarte, a Uruguayan midfielder who played, uh, of course, for sporting against Arsenal in the second leg of our Europa League clash. He missed the first leg and I thought he was um, sorely missed based on what I'd seen of him in the past. And actually, when he came back into the team in the second game at Emirates and I saw him sort of snapping around in midfield and, and being really combative, but also technically really sound. I thought you could see why the sporting side made such a big deal out of him. Um, you know, made such a big deal out of sort of, of the fact, sorry, that he wasn't available in the first leg. So 
Chelsea are in the market for a midfielder and Moises Caicedo will undoubtedly be on their list. Moises Caicedo is somebody that Chelsea have long admired. Chelsea have got a bit of a history of going after not just players, but staff from Brighton and Hove Albion as well. Although it didn't work out too well with Graham Potter or Mark Cucurello in truth. Uh, there is that link there. And Chelsea are quite often happy to, or at least willing to, overspend on players. A bit like Manchester United, who I've been talking about quite a bit as well in recent weeks. So Moises Caicedo is an option for Chelsea. But I guess a lot of us felt that when you look at what they have already at the club, and when you look at the fact that they were in negotiations for Manuel Ugarte, that that might mean that they don't then push through their interest in Moises Caicedo. They don't firm that interest up and turn it into anything more. So a lot of the panic and a lot of the conversation around Caicedo and the possibility of there now being a battle for his signature that runs throughout the duration of this summer has been sparked by the fact that Manuel Ugarte is now headed to Paris Saint-Germain. We heard earlier today that he's already in Paris, the medical's already been set up and that that deal is going to happen. And largely because Paris Saint-Germain were willing to cough up a lot more money uh, than Chelsea were for Ugarte. They had a ceiling for him, which is mad when you think about the way Chelsea have done business of late, that they actually have ceilings for things. Uh, but obviously they decided that that wasn't a deal they wanted to do at that price and have walked away from the negotiations. They've been gazumped by PSG, somebody playing them at their own game, you could say, and are now going to lose out. But that gives you the feeling that there's now even more urgency for Chelsea to go out and try and get Moises Caicedo in through the door. So let's weigh up the pros and cons of joining Arsenal and the pros and cons of joining Chelsea. Look, in terms of the game's biggest trophies, I know they had a dreadful season last season, but Chelsea have been more competitive in that sense over the last decade. So you can understand why they would appeal to someone. They're based in London, a lovely part of London as well. Um, and... They, they're getting a new manager in Maurizio Pochettino who wants to create some kind of revolution at Stamford Bridge and will want to bring in players who he feels can help him with that. And if you, you know, think about what's gone on at Chelsea over the last couple of years, lots of players coming in, not really getting the game time, lots of players been deemed as flops, etc. And then you look at that squad and you go, well, they're overstocked, so why would you if you're Moises Caicedo want to go there? I don't think that's as much of an issue as, as some people are making it out to be because Maurizio Pochettino could be involved in this conversation and could be saying, you are my guy. You are the one that I want. If you come here, you are going to play. You are going to start week in, week out. It's not about you coming in and sitting third, fourth in the pecking order. You're not going to be fighting for your place from the very beginning. You are going to be my guy and you are going to come in and help me get this project going and get this project off of the ground. So if you sell it to the player, and when I say it, I mean his role and his status, and you can pay top dollar, which we know Chelsea can and will, then that could be an appealing transfer for you. What do Arsenal have in their advantage? I think they're a lot more settled. I think that there's a, a sort of clear upward trajectory at Arsenal Football Club. I think the stability around the place is very, very helpful and it would give me confidence if I were a player looking to take my next step in football. I think Moises Caicedo would play at Arsenal. There's no question about that. Um, and, and Arsenal are in the Champions League, which is what Moises Caicedo referenced as being the real key point with regards to why he wanted to leave Brighton in January. 
He wanted Champions League football. Now, Chelsea are out of it this time, but they could easily, I think, twist people's arms by just going that little bit further in terms of pay and in terms of bonuses. And very often players will take that huge contract offer that will likely be on the table from the Stamford Bridge outfit and and say, well, I'm happy or, or I'm accepting of the fact that I won't have Champions League football for one, maybe two seasons, if it means that I'm going to get this incredible amount of money in um, and that's going to sort of help me and my family, etc. So financially, I think Chelsea can beat us to the punch. I think there's no question about that. I think recent history tells us that. But in terms of where you want to be right now, you can't be fearful of Chelsea in that sense. And if indeed Moises Caicedo has the right attitude, which is the attitude of wanting to improve as a footballer, wanting to challenge for big trophies, wanting to play in Europe's premier competition, which is repeatedly said, then Arsenal is the choice that you make. So is it a real problem between Arsenal and Caicedo? Would that be an issue? I don't envisage it being that much of a problem. What would be a problem, though, is the fee with Brighton and Hove Albion. If you're in the market to sign Declan Rice, which I think a lot of people believe Arsenal are, then that would suggest that you believe in your ability to go and spend something close to £100 million on a single midfielder. And so if you're Brighton, you'd be saying, well, why aren't you spending it on my central midfielder? How much do you really want him? And, and that's where it becomes difficult. You know, because the player can want to come and the personal terms could be all but agreed. But if the two clubs can't agree a fee, that's where you have an issue. And my worry going into this summer is that Arsenal have set their sights pretty high, like they should, with regards to the standard of the players that they want. But that comes at a big cost and at a big price. And so are the club ready to take their investment now to the next level? Because that's what they have to do if they want to get in the likes of Rice and Caicedo, because these are sought after players who are wanted by multiple big football clubs with incredible resources. This is a very, very complex window that we're about to go into. And the only way that Arsenal fully cash in and fully utilise the benefits of the season that's just finished with regards to how they've shown themselves to the wider world is if they go in Using all of that stuff, of course, but also willing to pay the bloody money. And that is the bit that always prevents me from getting excited and carried away when it comes to Arsenal in the transfer market. Are we going to spend close to 100 million to bring in Declan Rice and then maybe in excess of 70 million to sign Moises Caicedo? Is it realistic to expect Arsenal to spend 175 million on one area of the pitch in one summer? It should be. Because we're one of the biggest football clubs in world football. We're back in the Champions League. We had an incredibly successful campaign last time around in terms of elevating our status, elevating our league position. The prize money that comes with that was very, very impressive as well. We should be ready to do it and we should be willing to do it. But there's this nagging voice in the back of my head that says that Arsenal still do have their limits. KSE still do have their minutes in terms of the investment that they're willing to pump in. Financial fair play will be on their minds as well because the club has recorded losses over the last couple of seasons, last couple of financial years, the ones that have been published anyway. So, yeah, it's going to be really, really interesting. But I think Arsenal fans are 
right to be a, a little bit concerned about the competition now for Moises Caicedo. I think Liverpool will be sniffing around. I think that Chelsea will be sniffing around. Um, and and so we're going to have to um, have to wait and see how it goes. And look, Steve is right as well to say this in the chat because he says overpaying for transfers or wages causes problems further down the line. Pepe springs to mind. He absolutely does. Absolutely does. You know, you can get carried away. You can sort of feel like you need to go that extra mile to get the deal that you want done, but then end up living to regret it if indeed that signing doesn't work out. My old catchphrase during transfer season is every transfer has an element of risk to it, and it does. Arsenal have been willing to pay 40, 50 million pounds for players over the last few seasons. That represents obviously a huge amount of risk but not as great a risk as when you start entering the 70s and the 80s and beyond that with regards to the prices that you're going to pay. And are Arsenal ready to go into that next phase and push into that next bracket where they're now taking even bigger risks? I'm not sure. I'm just not sure at this moment in time. If I could ask you guys uh, to please leave a like on the video, it really, really does help. Subscribe, of course, to the channel if your brand's spanking you as well. It really, really does help. I'm going to take a really really, really short pause and I'll be back. We're going to talk Declan Rice. We're going to talk Granite Xhaka and we're going to take your questions from the live chat. So don't go anywhere. Good afternoon. Uh, let's take a few of your comments with regards to this uh, subject. Um, Jay Sayers says, Arsenal have never been more attractive for 20 years or so. If we don't sign big players now, we never will, and we'll end up fifth or sixth again. I agree with the, you know, with the fact that Arsenal are just super attractive right now, and I worry about when that level is going to be. You know, if we don't sign big players, we don't go on to the next level, and if we don't go on to the next level, the the, the attractiveness that we have right now is just a flash in the pan. It's not something that we can sustain. And then if we can't sustain it, how do we then do the right business over the coming years? Uh, you're absolutely right, Jay. This is when Arsenal, in terms of their appeal, are right at the peak. And um, we've got to uh, we've got to go and act this summer like the club that we want to be, basically. Uh, what else have we got? Um, Haylor says, Arsenal will, in this transfer window, decide which level they will be on in the next three years. One or two quality midfielders will secure that, possibly with a good central defender as well. Uh, uh, across the pond, Moss says, Harry, June 8th, 9th, what do you think we bid for Rice? 90 mil, 100 mil. So I think that Arsenal will open discussions with regards to West Ham over Declan Rice once the Europa Conference League final is done. But I don't expect it to be like literally the morning after. I think in the coming weeks, we're going to see Arsenal enter negotiations with West Ham United and hopefully, you know, we can get some some agreement in place. We've heard and it's been reported that Arsenal would be looking to start at around about 90, 92 million, a package worth that. How much of that is up front is unclear. Um, I don't expect us to go in full whack from the off, but you'd hope that we'll get moving. And I think Arsenal will know the benefit of getting your business done early, having seen what happened last season, and will be keen to emulate that this summer. Not always in your hands. We have to be clear about that. You know, Jesus 
Zinchenko, for example, were two players that City were quite happy to allow to leave. Therefore, those negotiations weren't overly complex. I know West Ham have probably conceded within or, or come to the realisation that they're going to have to let Declan Rice go, but they're going to want to protect themselves in terms of making sure that they get the most amount of money as well. So that negotiation could be a long drawn out one. It really, really could. Um, let's see uh, what we got. St. Francis says the Cronkies spent more in recent years without the UEFA Champions League. Now we have it. You're telling me that we can't get two big players of that rice price. Every YouTube channel is saying that we can't get both in one window. I mean, you kind of, I get what you're saying, but the point you make can just easily be flipped and reversed as well. And this is the point that I keep making. You can say, look, they spent loads of money without us being in the Champions League, but they spent it to get us in the Champions League. They felt that that was necessary for us to get back into the Champions League. But I've always said that that doesn't mean that they'll maintain that level of spend or exceed it in the coming years. They are quite reserved in the way that they do business, always have been. From the day they took any sort of control at this football club, they spend, but they spend within reason. They spend within their means. All I am saying is that if you still need four or five players going into this summer to take your squad to a competitive level, which, by the way, has to be a higher level than the one last season because we're in the Champions League again as well, then if you spend £175 million in one area of the pitch, how much do you have to spend in the other areas? And so, therefore, are you then settling on a lower calibre of player in other areas of the park? Or will Arsenal feel like they'll be better off getting one forward, one defender, one midfielder, and bolstering the overall makeup of the squad? I'm not saying that financially Arsenal can't afford it. If Arsenal want to do it, they can raise the funds. Make no mistake about that. Of course they can. But will they, given the wider context and the wider situation? I'm not convinced they will, because for all the talk about spending over the last few years, you know, it's been 40s and 50 million uh, sort of pounds spent or beneath that. You know, we haven't, we, we've been linked with Caicedo before and it was looking like we were ready to pay in excess of 70 million to get him back in January, but we didn't. You know, we were linked with Mihailo Mudrik and it was talked about us as a club that were willing to go very, very high on that. We didn't actually do it though. And, you know, we, we keep being linked with these bigger value deals, higher value deals, but none of them seem to come to fruition. So you'll have to forgive me if I'm just a little bit reluctant to say, yes, we'll go out and get both of those players. You've got to remember there are a number of clubs circling around both of these players as well. These are complex negotiations with lots and lots of moving parts. And I just think it's going to be quite difficult actually to get both of them in in this window. If we do it, it will be brilliant and I'll be delighted over the moon. Um, but we've got to see. Um, we've got to see how it goes. Uh, Alistair says, uh, is there any chance Xhaka stays? Then we only need one of Rice and Caicedo. That was my point as well. It was if you brought one of those guys in along with Granite Xhaka staying, you'd actually be okay. But the, the fact that we're going to move Granite Xhaka on for a, a, a minimal amount of money which doesn't even make a dent in the money we're talking about spending on these two guys is obviously a problem. You know, it's, it's an issue. Um, just on the Xhaka thing quickly, because I did have it down to speak about, lots of people suggesting that maybe the Granite Xhaka move to buy a Leverkusen has fallen apart, given that there's been no activity 
on that. A lot of people thought that as soon as the season ended, that would be that. The announcement would come out and that would move very, very quickly. To my understanding, the Xhaka move has not broken down. No issue there. He's still set to join Bayer Leverkusen. They're still uh, looking to make that deal happen. Arsenal are going to reluctantly allow this to happen because they feel that they kind of owe one to Granit Xhaka. Um, and from what I've heard that this was discussed even before the season, we've just had kicked off the fact that he wanted to return back to Germany, head back with his family. Arsenal, to my understanding, are not willing to sanction this until they have a replacement. And at this moment in time, we record this today on the 5th of June, they do not have a replacement lined up. Therefore, that deal is not going to happen just yet. Um, Avic says, why can't we negotiate multiple deals at the same time? Why are we waiting for the rice deal to crack other deals? Leaves me worried about the budget. I mean, who says that we're not negotiating on multiple fronts? Arsenal will always be negotiating on multiple fronts. They'll always be having conversations with regards to multiple players during a, a summer transfer window. You know, again, this is where I keep saying, don't just believe everything you read. Like, don't just blindly follow. And I'm not saying you're doing that, Avic, but generally speaking, like, a lot of the reports that you read, a lot of the stories that you read are based on assumption, are based on guesswork and are essentially predictions as to what might happen. People like to go early, give it a shout. Don't be too clear in your report. Keep it quite vague. Don't be too committal. And then you can always backtrack and say, well, there was a discussion going on, but it just didn't materialize into anything. A lot of journos do that. A lot of reporters do that. And listen, some of them work on great information. Let me be clear, actually. It's not really the journos that you have to watch out for. It's the online aggregators, the ones that aren't in the know. Pretend they are, but they are. You wouldn't believe how many people say to me, Harry, I spoke to my mate whose sisters, brothers, cousins, accountants, dog walkers, sisters, friend works at Arsenal, and she heard this. So it must be true. Like, you wouldn't believe how many people want to be that, want to be a person that, told someone something and then they can say I told you so but you can guess like you could say going into this summer because of Arsenal's interest in Caicedo in the past Arsenal are looking at Caicedo and if they don't get Caicedo no one can ever say you were wrong because you couldn't definitively prove it what you've done is taken a bit of information that's probably true based on some information that you know to be true from the past and you've come up with this concoction of a story and this is my big thing with the transfer windows. This is why on this show, we're going to spend a lot of time over the summer trying to break down what's genuine and what's not. Because there is a lot of nonsense that does the rounds as well. Um, and you've got to be mindful of that. You know, I was talking to my colleague today at 90 Min, Scott Saunders. We were doing a show together earlier today. And, you know, the Alexis McAllister stuff broke that he's headed to Liverpool, which Andy Naylor of The Athletic, Brighton's, correspondent is rejected by the way he said that there's nothing agreed from the Brighton side but then there was a part where it was oh well he rejected Manchester United to join Liverpool how, how does anyone know that how do we know that we don't what that is is the classic example of let me put in another club into this mix into this picture something that can't necessarily be proven and won't be 
necessarily proven, disbanded, etc. And and now all of a sudden my clickbait article hits two sets of supporters, two of the biggest groups of supporters in world football. And there you go. There's my traction. Let it catch fire. I've done my job for my publication. So you've got to be careful. You really have got to be careful with what we read um, during these uh, these months. Uh, Suti FM says, what worries me is that Arsenal still have the odd failure in signings in them. La Conga Vieira, for example, we need proven players, not players with potential. I agree with you. Every club, though, has the odd failure signing, even those with the best recruitment processes in place. Look at Liverpool. They were lauded over the last five, six years for their recruitment and all the brilliant things they did. But there were players like Naby Keita that came in that didn't really work out for one reason or another. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, I would argue, didn't really work out at Liverpool either, given the status he held at Arsenal in the past. It happens. These things happen in football. Um, you're not going to get every single one right. What you need to do is get the vast majority right. And Arsenal have done that, to be fair, over the last couple of years. Lokonga, I think, is done. Fabio Vieira, I think, is someone that Arsenal have faith in, whether rightly or wrongly. I expect to see him in the makeup of the squad next season and, and get given more opportunities. Um, what else have we got? Uh, Steve Stone says, my understanding is Arsenal are close to FFP limits. Am I wrong? I don't know the ins and outs of this. I don't know the specifics. But what I do know is that Arsenal will be looking to offload a bit this summer to try and help with that. Um, but yeah, that is obviously an issue. The only reason I don't really bring it up very much or, or feel like it's something we should focus on too much is because it feels like everybody else has found a way of dancing around that. So if they can do it, we should be doing it as well. Um, but yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, Stan says, phew, so glad to hear the Jacquesel hasn't fallen through. Had me worried for a few moments there, Harry. <laughs> Stan, not uh, not his best, um, not his, uh, not his biggest fan. Uh, Divya says, Harry, I'm superstitious. Players that you overpay for never give a bang for the buck. Pepe, Lukaku, Grealish, Calvin Phillips, Coutinho, Mudrik, João Felix, Vlavic, Sanchez, Anthony. Um, all, all good examples, with the exception of Jack Grealish, I would say. I think Grealish has done all right, um, particularly this season. The first season was a little bit questionable, but, you know, it came in with a big price tag and, and obviously went into um, uh, a different level of side and, and had to kind of find his feet. Um, Dave says, afternoon, Harry, watching you from my office in New York City. I avoid the noise by these media outlets because I trust Edu and Arteta know what they're doing. Yeah. And look, ultimately, the responsibility of Edu is to do these deals and, and help us in that sense. But at the same time, you know, he can't control every element of these things. If he feels, for example, let's just use Moises Caicedo as, a, as an example, that he's worth 65 million. And that's all the club will sanction him to spend on this particular player. But Brighton don't want to play ball. Everyone will turn around and go, oh, my God, Edu, you you were supposed to go out there and get him and you couldn't. You failed. Now, if it was because his negotiation skills weren't very good or because his relationship with them was so damaged that it didn't allow us to move forward with that particular deal, you say, fine, that's on Edu. But the point I'm trying to make here is don't always jump on Edu. Don't always jump on Mikel Arteta. Don't always jump on the owners even. This is a collective team that works in tandem to secure deals. The finance has to be put up by the owners who ultimately sign the checks. 
The negotiation has to be navigated successfully by Edu, who is the sporting director. And Mikel Arteta will probably have to play some role, some part in convincing whoever the prospective signing is of the project in place at Arsenal. So there is a multitude of factors that you have to navigate through and and sort of pass through when trying to do these big money deals. And sometimes you can hit a brick wall that certainly isn't of your own making. And that's why I get annoyed when people go, well, it's him or it's him. There's a lot of stuff. Um, there's a lot of stuff uh, that you have to factor in here. Um, there was a question about Spurs is a number one candidate to take the managerial job, which is, of course, uh, Ange Postacoglu from Celtic. He's been given permission uh, to, to, of course, speak to Tottenham Hotspur about taking up that managerial vacancy. Um, what do I think of him? There was a question from uh, from Avic. We we touched on this a little bit on yesterday's show. Um, but Avic says, do you think Ange Postacoglu can be the Arsene Wenger for Spurs? I hope not, but it's a very interesting appointment. I don't want to laugh at it. I'm not laughing at it because I think that, as I said yesterday, I think he's an innovative thinker. I think he's a great communicator. And I think that's really, really important when you're trying to, keep the fans on side when it comes to a um a sort of a project and i think he plays exciting attacking football so if i were a spurs fan i wouldn't be jumping for joy but i also wouldn't be standing outside tottenham hotspur stadium with a placard saying postacoglu out levy out all of that nonsense if you want levy out for different reasons i think that's a valid view to have but not on this basis not on this premise I think it could work, but it could also fail. And that's the problem that Spurs are now shopping in that kind of bracket when it comes to managers because they've brought in the tried and tested some of the best managers in world football over the last few years based on their previous records. And even they failed miserably because the the circumstances under which they're working, the environment in which they're asked to do their job just isn't one that breeds success. And so, yeah, um, I'm going to reserve judgment on Postacoglu for now, but you know, it's certainly not something I'm going to be laughing at. I guess let's just see how it goes. Halo Mateus says, what is your assessment regarding Edu as the sporting director? Do you think that Arsenal, on the level they are now, should aim higher than Edu? Look, when Arsenal gave that job to Edu and they hired Mikel Arteta, they decided to embark on a project, a project which meant bringing in people who were fledglings in their careers, you know, Edu had some experience of a kind of directorial role in the past, but not at a club like Arsenal Football Club. And he was thrown into the deep end and told to swim. And the idea was to develop all of these people together. The sporting director, he wasn't the sporting director at the time, he was the technical director, I believe the term was at that point. So there was him, then there was Arteta, the young rookie manager. They've supported the club in promoting their young players and tied them down on big contracts. There is an acceptance at Arsenal that they're going to be patient, but they believe that the rewards that they can reap from being patient will be worth the wait and any pain that comes in between that. You've let Edu get this far. And if you look at the last two summers in particular, I think the work that the club have done with regards to recruitment has been hugely impactful on the pitch. And so... You know, you want your club to progress. Edu's going to have to progress as well. I'm nowhere near the point where I want Edu to go 
or where I'm sort of being really, um, you know, really sort of negative about the job he's done. I think he's done a good job overall. I think there have been some questionable decisions, but you can say that about even the best, most renowned sporting directors in the game. You're not going to agree with every decision that he makes, with every decision that Arteta makes, and every decision that KSE makes. That's just the way it goes. But my assessment of him so far is that he's done a very good job. He seems to be getting better and better, more effective every single summer. But as I said earlier on, there will always be factors that are, that are outside of his control and outside of Arteta's control. And just be mindful of that when we're critical of them and be mindful of where the blame should actually sit and where the finger should actually be pointed when we start to learn details and, and understand how certain deals if in the event they did end up breaking down. Uh, Glensworth says, great reporting as always, Harry. This is the time of year when everyone turns reporter slash journalist overnight with the best insights. Agreed. This is the point where everybody goes nuts on Twitter. Uh, there's some big Arsenal aggregator accounts that share news. They always credit it back to obviously wherever it came from. But some of the shit they report, I'm sorry, I'm going to be just blunt and honest about this. Some of the shit that they feel is worth a tweet is mad. And the reason they feel it's worth a tweet is because there's enough people that will gobble that up and go on there and like it and retweet it and tag their mates in it and all this. Some of the sources that they quote are laughable, are literally laughable. Who are they? Who even are they? Who are these people whom you're allowing to wind you up over the course of a summer transfer window and get you into such a frenzy in a state that you are now sitting there being massively critical of someone that's done a really good job at a football club. Honestly, it does my brain in. It drives me up the wall. I, I just, some of it I don't get. Some of it I don't get. There was one guy who um, who retweeted, who, who tweeted something yesterday. And it's not fair for me to like sit here digging people out. That's not, that's not what I want to do. So I'm not going to say which account it was specifically, but they tweeted this whole two, three paragraphs about this story. And then the guy that they'd quoted as the source was an aggregator. Literally, you clicked on his profile and it said, I'm a football news aggregator. What is an aggregator? Someone that recycles the news put out by somebody else. Doesn't even try and pass it off as their own. They're quite happy to put their hands up and say, this ain't my story. It's just a story that I'm recycling and pushing out to everyone. But yeah, it just, it drives me mental. Listen, I am lucky enough to do this for a living. I'm lucky enough to work within the space of football now, to work for some really amazing organizations. But you don't catch me sitting here pretending that I know information that I don't. You don't catch me going on record as saying this, this and this. I give opinions, but they are just opinions. And I make that very, very clear. I just find it mad how that so many people feel like they need to take it upon themselves in the summer to start pretending that they are exactly that. You're not. You're not. Chill out. Relax. Um, Avic says, Harry, you deserve a vacation after the long season. Take some days off before the transfer madness starts. Please do vlogs next season. Love the last ones. Thank you, mate. Um, I am going to take a little bit of time over the course of the summer. Not sure exactly when just yet. Um, but yeah, we'll keep the shows going. Even if I'm not doing anything else uh, around the rest of the day, uh, I'll make sure that I'm doing the podcast because it keeps me going, keeps me in the loop, keeps me on top of things, gives me something to do. Um, but yeah, um, I'm going to try and take a little bit of downtime. And as I say, the output's going to drop a little bit later on this week. We will get some uh, content out to you. It will largely be on the YouTube channel. There'll be short form podcasts 
going on the audio um, just as a heads up because I will be away from Wednesday until Sunday. There'll be a couple of bits of content that I record tomorrow that will be dropping over that period of time to keep you guys busy if you're interested. Um, but yeah, the rest of it will be pretty bite-sized over the next few days as I'll be working out in Istanbul on the UEFA Champions League final. But anyway, um, I think, guys, I'm going to leave it there. Thank you so, so much. Uh, really, really do appreciate you tuning in, as always, taking the time uh, to join me for uh, a discussion around some of the latest Arsenal transfer rumours, stories, links, whatever you want to call them. I'll be back tomorrow with another episode. Until then, take care of yourselves. Uh, enjoy the sunshine. Don't get caught up in the web of the aggregators. Don't allow it to wind you up. We're not even in July yet, so there really is no need to panic with regards to the transfer window. I'll see you soon. Until next time, goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.